Who cares about men's health? Providing information, inspiration, motivation to better understand and engage in your health so you feel better today and in the future. All right, time to do a little roll call here. Need to know who cares about men's health? My name is Scott. I am the senior producer at thescoperadio.com, and I care about men's health. Who wants to join me? I'll join you, Scott, because I think it's my turn next. I'm Dr. Troy Madsen. I'm an emergency physician at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health. And I'm Dr. Chris Gee. I'm a sports medicine physician here at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health. All right, Dr. Gee, welcome back to the show. Um, next time, I need you a little bit more enthusiasm, though. Say it like you mean it, okay? <laughs> it like All right. Feel like your life depends on it. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, today, we're going to do a uh, listener question episode. So um, some listeners have sent us some questions for uh, Dr. Gee, who is a sports medicine physician. Um, why do I get cramps in a muscle and can I fix that? We're going to talk about rotator cuff rehabilitation without surgery and is KT tape for real? But before we get to the main topic, I have a question for you, uh, Dr. Gee or Chris or whatever you want me to call you. Uh, do you do time restricted eating? Do you even know what that is? Like fasting? Um, I've done some fasting, but I'm not very good at it. Um, <laughs> and I hate like, fasting. Let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> so like, what does fasting look like? Because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. So the basic premise behind this is that it's probably not great for our bodies to get, you know, huge boluses of food and to, um, you know, eat just kind of grazing all through the day. Um, and so, you know, the idea is to have a time for your body to kind of process things. Um, you know, some religious groups do it routinely with, you know, monthly fasts and certain and ceremonial fasts. Uh, but obviously the time related eating is, is more that you eat certain times through the day and then at night you stop eating and, you know, overnight or whatever it is that you decide to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's that time restricted eating. We've had another guest on who's a nutritionist. He's a big proponent of it. Like, you know, 12 hours of eating, 12 hours of not eating. Right. Or, you know, if you want to try to lose a little bit more fat, you can make that 10 hours of eating, uh, the remainder not eating or eight hours. It's, uh, so you, you have done that time restricted eating and just don't like it, huh? Yeah. I mean, I'm, so I am probably the worst nutritional person out there as far as my <laughs> diet is just not great. Um, but so I've done a little bit of it and tried it and just like, I have a hard time. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. What's your challenge uh, to that? Cause I just started doing it again. I'd yeah. done it for a couple of weeks before COVID and then COVID came along and well, every, every routine I had went out the window, but right. I felt better even after two weeks and I feel good now after just a few days of doing it. So how did it impact you? So for me, the, whatever the problem is, I tend to um, be really great with a diet or with, you know, some restricted time restriction or something like that for, a couple of days and then it just goes out the window for whatever reason. I'm just like, Oh, this will be, I'll just have this snack. I'll just break it this one time. Cool. Um, and so I, I don't know, I've, I've kind of done that and I, I know I need to kind of adjust that, but for me getting through the first day or two is just hard. Yeah, it is a little tough. Troy, have you been sticking with it? I know I you have. would talk I have, about doing it. I have it. been sticking with it. Yeah. I've, and I do 12 hours, Scott. That seems to work for me. And I just tell myself I'm not going to eat after 8 p.m. and I'm not going to eat before 8 a.m. You know, doing just restricting it to just 10 hours of eating, I think would be really tough because then I'd be looking at stopping eating at 6 p.m. So I find 12 seems to work and I've, yeah. you know, it seems to be working okay. 
but I agree. It's tough. Can I ask Troy a question? Yeah. Um, how do you do that with your shifts? Do you still do a number of shifts in the ER? I do. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can't do it with, with shifts. That. You're right. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's what really throws me off is if I work, you know, as you know, Chris, we'll do these shifts that are evening shift. We call it an evening shift, but you get out of there at like one or two in the morning and get to bed at three. So those days, I'm probably not eating after 11 p.m. and I'm not eating before 11 a.m., so it's probably still working out to 12 hours uh, because I'm trying to do better at eating at work. That's what I found. If I don't eat consistently at work, I get home and it's like 2 a.m. and I'm so hungry that I eat a ton. And then my stomach just hurts when I go to sleep. Exactly. I can't sleep well. So that's that's how I've tried to adjust it, just by bringing plenty of food for work and trying to be consistent about eating so I don't come home hungry. But it's hard. It is With shift work, it's really hard. Yeah. And and have you noticed a benefit, Troy? What, what does it do for you? You know, I have, Scott. Yeah, I... Um, I, I found too, when I first started doing it, I did feel like it did reduce my body fat somewhat. And, um, you know, the other thing I like about it, I feel like I don't have to pay as much attention to what I eat. I know that's bad, but <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like it, it kind of gives me a little wiggle room there where I'm like, Hey, I can, I can eat more stuff that I was a little more concerned about eating before. And then just going to bed, like sometimes I would eat at like, you know, nine 30 and then maybe I'm asleep at 10 30. And it wouldn't be until about one or two in the morning that my stomach would really feel okay because this that food just kind of sat there. So I felt like it's helped my sleep as well. So I, I feel like it's made a difference. And I I feel like I've done okay with it. Like I've I've tried to do this since we first talked to Thunder about this. It must have been like a year ago or so. Um, and it's one of those things I've I've kind of taken from these talks we've had with Thunder that I've I feel has definitely been beneficial. Yeah. Um, well. I just was curious because I was curious uh, to know, Chris, if you uh, did anything like that as well and like what your challenges were. And I guess now we know. I feel like I wake up a little bit more clear headed um, for sure and a little bit more alert. So, um, by the way, uh, I did see a documentary that talked about fasting. And there is some research out there that even says even if you do it five days out of the week and two days, you're not as religious, you still get the same benefits. So, I mean, that's, you know, for somebody that works Monday through Friday and then the weekends, maybe they, you know, let themselves go a little bit. So. Maybe, maybe that would help. Chris, we think you think we can get you on board or just no way. <laughs> You're tempting me for sure. I'll have to try it. Maybe just three days. I need to have a new plan. And, and so that'll be good. If I can yeah. only do a few days a week, maybe I'll start with that. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, Scott, if there's benefit to five days, there's got to be benefit just even to like three days, you know, I would imagine you would think, yeah, you would think I mean, so. Maybe yeah. you could say, hey, this is going to be like my Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing and start there. Don't eat after 8 p.m. Don't eat before 8 a.m. or whatever works or 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. Because I feel like 12 hours for me is doable. I feel like beyond that, like to consistently do it is there's definitely days where I'm, you know, maybe restricted to 10 hours, but it's hard to do that consistently. All right. Uh, let's get to the topics here. So our listener questions, lots of ways you can get in touch with us. Um, there's email, there's our listener line, and that's how we got a hold of these questions right here. So Dr. Gee, let's go ahead and start out with listener question number one. Uh, this individual says they get cramps um, and they're wondering why they get cramps. What does a cramp mean? And is there something you can do to fix it if you have a muscle that's kind of, you know, consistently cramping? Like I've had this with my legs, my calves, you know, for example. Yeah, so that's a, there's a number of different reasons why a person may have cramps. Um, first of all, and the most common are, are related to um, maybe dietary things or you're dehydrated or you've been working out a lot and at a certain point during your workout or your run or whatever, you're getting cramps. 
Um, so those are more nutrition kind of based recommendations where make sure that you're, you're well hydrated. They're not, you're not getting dehydrated through the course of your day or your workout. Um, and also looking at, you know, getting sure, making sure that you're getting electrolytes with that. So some kind of, you know, Gatorade or something like that, that you're using to replenish those electrolytes as you are sweating. Um, but then the second group of kind of cramping, well, the second group, the way I look at it at least, is that there's times where your muscle maybe isn't as strong as it should be. And so if you imagine maybe you've got a, a, a calf cramp or something like that, and as you start to run and work out, maybe you're well hydrated and you have good electrolytes, but the muscle is a little bit fatigued. It can't quite keep up with the demand that you're putting onto it. And it basically has to go into a bit of a spasm to hold the demand that you're putting onto it. And that'll often happen, you know, during workouts and things and, or even kind of after the fact as people are walking um, around. And, and those cramps, uh, depending on kind of where they are and what's going on with them, they can benefit from, you know, doing some more dedicated, directed exercise at those areas. Uh, you know, there's different types of strength within muscles. When you look at you know, a lot of times the way we think of strength, we think of, oh, I can pick up this really heavy, you know, weight. Um, and that's, that is a type of strength, but there's also dynamic strength, which is basically where your muscles are holding your joints and your bodies through the course of motion. And if they are fatigued, if they are not up to kind of where they need to be, they will basically have to go into spasm to try to hold that dynamic control. And that's oftentimes when people will start getting cramps. And Chris, imagine that you're like mountain biking somewhere or you're, you know, running or competing in some kind of event and your leg just cramps up. Do you, and it's kind of like related to what Scott said, but you recommend just stopping at that point and trying to massage it or stretching or just slowing down a bit or just pushing through it? Or what's, what's your typical advice when that happens? You know what I love about that is Troy never, ever said, or just quit. He never even offered that up. As an <laughs> or, yeah. I'm, I'm imagining Scott, you know, you're somewhere where you probably have to get home. Okay, you know, you're right, on a trail. Right. You can't just call Uber. You got to, <laughs> you got to get home somehow. So yeah. Yeah, how do you get through that? Yeah, that's the next version of Uber, the mountain bike Uber. Yeah, the mountain bike <laughs> Uber, just a little trailer on back. <laughs> um, that's a, a really good question. And I think all too often as kind of weekend warriors um, and, you know, just recreational athletes, we tend to push through those things. Um, and what I find is that that tends to make it worse. You know, you really tend to um, have more problems as you continue to work out. And so I do suggest that you stop. You rest, try to stretch out that muscle, do a little massage, um, think back on what you've been doing with your hydration. Have you been um, hydrating well enough? Have you urinated recently? That's always a good sign to see where you're at with your hydration. You know, if you've been pounding a ton of fluids and you're urinating really clear, you might be going a little too hard uh, urinating or I mean hydrating. Um, but if you haven't peed for a while and when you do try to go, it's really dark, you know, then you need to really try to push some fluids and recover and then then kind of build your way back into your exercise. Try to maybe go just below that threshold at which you were cramping before, which can definitely be difficult if you're out 
pretty far out um, and you're trying to work through a cramp as you're trying to finish. So in that situation, uh, just want to make sure I understand correctly. Um, it's cramping. Uh, you should stop. Uh, did you say you should rub it? Try to massage? No, stretch it. You should stretch it. And massage it, it sounds like. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Okay. Um, oftentimes I find that, you know, when it's acutely spasmed, so you, we'll have an athlete come off the, the the court or the field and they're acutely in spasm, really the only thing that's going to help or the thing that helps the fastest is to uh, stretch that muscle. So really mm. just try to stretch it back out. And then some gentle massage to try to work fluids around through that muscle to kind of break mm. down some of the more uh, tight areas uh, that might be more likely to, to spasm. And That's then, good to know, though. Yeah, start with the stretch, though. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had people try, uh, you know, both personally and professionally where they'll try to just massage that cramp and it, it takes a while to get it to release. Yeah. And so I, I find stretching it first, then working into a massage is probably a better route. Nice. If hydration was the issue uh, and you started drinking some water, then would that clear itself up pretty quickly, the cramp, or not very quickly? It can. It can definitely help, but it, it's really hard, I find, that once you start cramping to kind of turn that around or at least within that that exercise or that uh, that particular workout window, usually it's going to take some time for your body to try to co correct the electrolytes and the fluid balance as such that it's going to ease it up. So you want to, you know, as as a as even a recreational athlete, really listen to your body and know at what point you're going to start feeling that cramp come on. And if you can, you know, get to that point and say, okay, now I'm pushing it a little too hard and start correcting those either fluid issues or technique issues, uh, making sure that you're not pushing beyond that. It, it usually helps to prevent you from having cramps throughout the workout. All right. Question number two. Um, boy, this, uh, this is probably going to be a tough one. Rotator cuff rehabilitation without surgery. So um, you, you see a lot of rotator cuff kind of injuries. And I, I, I think I find it fascinating that the rotator cuff is kind of called one thing, but it's actually four different muscles. Exactly. Yeah. And this, this is one, this, this really hits home for me because in high school, I injured my rotator cuff. I never went and saw anyone for it, but I'm certain that's what it is. And I've convinced myself over the years, I can do this without actually seeing someone for it. So I'm curious what you have to say, Chris. Yeah. And you could hurt your rotator cuff like doing sports, but even if you fall, it, it, you could hurt it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it's a very interesting joint and it's one of those things that I see a lot of, you know, we all, you know, hit the new year and we say, Hey, I want to lift and, you know, get some definition in my body. So we go and we, we overdo it with shoulders and start getting some pain in the shoulder or even, you know, getting out and biking and things like that. We'll have people crash and have a trauma to the shoulder. So in general, just as kind of a educational piece with the rotator cuff, basically when you look at the shoulder, you have a, the ball and socket joint. Now, the socket is really very shallow. I make the analogy, it's more like a golf ball in a tee. So you have a big, you know, humeral head or a big ball that's trying to fit into this small little depression of the, the shoulder blade. And so there's a, a group of four muscles that fit that come off the shoulder blade and they, they surround the humeral head and they move it around. Um, now, because, there's not a lot of bony restriction. It gives us great motion of the shoulder, but it's at the compromise of, of stability. 
And so that's always the the problem is that if those rotator cuff muscles aren't working together, they don't have that dynamic strength and control I was talking about earlier, they will allow that ball to slide off the the uh, socket and, and cause things to get stretched and cause pain and impingement and other problems. And so when we're younger, you know, when you're in high school, when you injure your shoulder, usually that rotator cuff will just stretch. It'll stretch out. It'll cause some instability problems. But unfortunately, as we get older and, you know, ages, uh, the rough estimates, 35 to 40, which, you know, that throws me in the old category. <laughs> I don't love that. But as we get older, the rotator cuff doesn't tend to stretch as well and it tends to tear. And so, you know, those, those little things that maybe you can recover in a day or two as a teenager are going to do more damage as an adult and you can tear part of the cuff and that may uh, require um, more treatment than what you had as a, as a youngster. So when you say treatment, are, are you saying you, you definitely need surgery or is it something where physical therapy or strengthening or those kind of things are going to help you recover? Yeah, is this listener is hopefully hope, hoping without surgery. Okay, so. you're going to say no surgery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, honestly, I find the vast majority of these can, can not or do not have to have surgery. Oh, nice. It's just great. Um, so there's a few different buckets that these fall into with these rotator cuff injuries. Um, you know, if you're young uh, and otherwise healthy and you haven't, you know, it, like I said, it takes a lot of force to tear the rotator cuff when you're young. So most of the time we'll put those people through some some physical therapy, working on rebuilding the rotator cuff, working on shoulder blade positioning and posture helps with that rotator cuff. And that allows them to progressively get back to normal. Um, even when you have an older patient that maybe, you know, they're... I've had patients that are in their 70s that are just pulling up something, maybe the, the sheet on the covers um, of their bed, and they've torn part of the rotator cuff. So, you know, at, at that point, as everybody's rotator cuff gets weaker, you, believe it or not, you can do therapy with those group too. And so getting out and doing um, – getting some physical therapy, strengthening that rotator cuff – what's left of it or the muscles around it will actually calm their symptoms down and they, they do pretty well. It's really the ones that have an acute traumatic injury. You know, you fall really hard when you're skiing or you dislocate the shoulder and you acutely tear the rotator cuff. Those are the ones that more often need surgery. Um, and uh, the rest were pretty good about or, or pretty uh, successful with being able to rehabilitate the the muscles and you know maybe do an injection to calm down inflammation but they do fairly well and i i also think it's just always good if you have hurt yourself to go see somebody just because you start making those accommodations and and then right. you know who knows 20 years down the road where that's going to get you i think it's kind of got me to a bad place and i'm kind of trying to undo some of those things because you know it's not going to get better if i don't do something actively with it so exactly yeah uh, all right. Question number three is KT tape for real. So this KT tape, this is the, the tape that sometimes you see athletes. I went to a chiropractor once and they put some KT tape on me and, you know, they cut it up and made it into some tribal looking design on my shoulder and my bicep. Um, is, is that the real deal? Is that legit or not? So, yeah, KT tapes kind of been the rage over the last number of years and you see a lot of athletes doing it and Olympians doing it. Um, it when 
when you look at really what it's doing, it's not going to hold the joint into place because it's not connected to any muscle. It's not connected to any bone or anything like that. What it is doing, though, is giving a little bit of feedback through the skin, through the nerves that are in the skin, just to kind of remind you a little bit about that position. So, for example, in the shoulder again, um, it's probably not going to keep your shoulder from sliding out. It's not going to prevent you from using your shoulder wrong. But what it can do is remind you as you start to slip into maybe a bad position, you start to feel a tug on your skin and, you, oh, okay, yeah, I got to bring my shoulder black back and I have to kind of get that better position. Um, so what I, the way I try to use it is maybe using it early on just to remind people of positioning. Uh, we'll use it sometimes around the knee and the shoulder just to kind of help people to think about positioning and, and activation of muscles. But over the long term, I definitely want people to get dynamic control and strength of their, of their joints so that they don't have to use those things. And do you find, Chris, that it's more helpful than just like saying, you know, like wearing like an, an ace wrap or like a, a thin, some sort of thin uh, brace on your knee or something? I mean, is it, does it seem like it does better than that kind of thing to, to provide that reminder that maybe you need to do things differently as you're going through those motions? Um, it can help in certain scenarios. So for example, like if somebody has a, um, an unstable knee, meaning their, their kneecap is kind of wanting to drift off to the side. Sometimes taping in a certain way can help to encourage that to stay back and it can remind people. But you can get the same effect with even a, a sleeve over the knee that has a hole in the front that kind of encourages that kneecap. So uh, as far as you, when you look at really studies, um, they really say that any kind of proprioceptive feedback with like an ace bandage or a sleeve um, or a brace can help just to remind you of positioning of that, that joint. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the tape. Duck, duck tape. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it doesn't stretch as well as KT tape, right? I don't know. Maybe not as good, but <laughs> And a pinch. All right. Well, Dr. Gee, um, again, awesome job answering our listener questions. Uh, sure to appreciate having you on the show. And thank you for caring about men's health. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here. I love getting the questions and hopefully got some things answered. All right. Welcome, Producer Mitch, to the show. I guess Producer Mitch has a question for Dr. Troy Madsen. Um, Mitch, what was your question? I've been going to doctors and I've been reading the, the after notes in my chart. Is generally pleasant code for anything because <laughs> i have been described by two doctors now as a generally pleasant 32 year old male oh that is great it's is not that... code for anything it's okay, just it, right. it just cracks me up when people use that yeah all right but hold on this is in your chart like what yeah what medical purpose does this description serve troy it's at the top it's right? so funny yeah it's so funny i never do i never use adjectives like that to describe anyone because it's in the er just, do you have to describe people i never use that no some people just do that it's just habit i think just because they you know the average person who who's nice who comes in who they enjoy talking to they will describe as like this is pleasant you know this is a pleasant 30 year old male who comes in with a chief complaint of whatever it's just like habit for them um okay. 
and it is not code for anything. It doesn't right. mean they think you're you're weird <laughs> or something. It's just, yeah, it's just you know, like if it's someone who, yeah, it's it's funny when it's in there because, yeah, when I see that, I I always think like, well, what are they going to be say about the person who's not pleasant? Right? Are they going to say this very unpleasant forty year old man? <laughs> and that means something. That means it's, something it, a lot. Um, yeah, I love exactly. how they use the word generally, Mitch. Does that concern you that in that short interaction that there was possibly a moment where you were not pleasant? <laughs> yeah, that is That's... the one piece that jumped out to me. Typically, they'll say this. This is a very pleasant. Typically, they'll say this is a very pleasant 30 year old man. The fact that they said generally. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of a red flag. Mitch. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I just thought it was. Oh, my God. It was an ENT, too. I'm like, what did I do? Yeah. What, what did, did I do wrong? What, did I, what do I have to do to get very pleasant? Well, <laughs> ask him that it. the next visit. Like, yeah. what does it take to get a very pleasant description? <laughs> what do I have to do? What or just walk out of here. Yeah, what can I do to just have you drop generally? Just so it just says yeah, a pleasant. Just say pleasant. This is a pleasant. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah. So no, it just on, cracks me up when I see that. It's just, it's kind of like this old school thing. And I just, yeah, like I said, I never use adjectives like that, but it's just funny. But some doctors do and there's no purpose to it, huh, Troy? Yeah, there's really no purpose to it. I, it's not like... I look at that and I say, oh, good. I'm so glad I'm going to see him now because <laughs> if he hadn't said pleasant, I would not want to see this patient in my clinic. So it's not it's not like some code between doctors. Don't worry. Well, and it's almost embarrassing because like I'm trying to read all their instructions, but I can't. Like I'm like in that first line, I'm like, what do they mean? Oh, what yeah. do they mean by generally pleasant? <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to decode it. <laughs> yeah. So you don't actually make it to the important stuff. <laughs> right, <your> right. <laughs> Just going to leave this here. It could be a random thought. It could be something to do with health, or it might just be something that we really couldn't find its place elsewhere on the show that we wanted to share. So on Instagram, I follow some uh, health uh, accounts, and they're not your typical health accounts. This one is at letstalk.mentalhealth, and they have this little graphic that I love because I think it sums up the things that were never taught that we should have learned at some point in our life that are so crucial. So this says, what I learned in school how to multiply eight times seven and what H2O stands for. What I wish I learned in school, the importance of mental health, mindfulness, self-esteem, reframing negative thoughts, self-care, emotional regulation, personal finance, and the importance of sleep. And that's why we talk about some of those things on this podcast and some of those other things that we don't talk about. Never too late to learn something new about any of those areas. They will pay dividends. I'm going to add two more to that list, home maintenance and car maintenance. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I wish they taught those things. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I'm just going to leave this here. I'm just going to let you guess. What is the top ranked diet of 2021? Well, if you're bringing it up, I know you're a fan of the Mediterranean diet and you probably want to give it some props. So that's my guess. Mediterranean diet. No, it's the seafood diet. I see it and I eat it. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is the Mediterranean diet. Yeah. You always come back to the Mediterranean diet. It's come up many times as we've talked about different diets. It is the number one ranked diet of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. The thing I love about the Mediterranean diet is it's such a straightforward diet. It makes sense. And then there's good research to back it up, looking at heart benefits, weight loss, general health, all those sorts of things. Really good research to back it up. So if you're looking for a diet for 2021 and trying to switch things up a little bit, look into the Mediterranean diet. Again, we've talked a lot about it, but it's very straightforward. Great diet. All right. Time to say the things that you say at the end of podcast, because we are at the end of ours. First of all, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it a lot of different ways. 
the way that would be kind of cool is if you called 60155 scope, that's 60155 scope and leave us a voicemail with your message, your question, your feedback, whatever. But there are the methods there are other methods as well. You can contact us hello at the scoperadio.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash who cares men's health. Our website is who cares men's health.com. Also, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, whatever works for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring about men's health. 